So here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to read verse number 4. All right, I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles this morning the best you can. I've got a lot of verses. It may be more than you can keep up with, but write them down at least. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, we had just read there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, of how Jesus Christ was Emmanuel, God with us. And now we read over here in Deuteronomy that the Lord our God is one Lord. So, how do we reconcile this? How do we understand this? Well, first of all, we see here that there can only be one God. There can only be one God. The Bible is very clear that only one God exists. Jehovah, in the Old Testament, if you have a King James Bible, all of the times you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, in all capital letters, or G-O-D in all capital letters, that is referring to Jehovah. The Hebrew word behind it is the word Jehovah. Many other times in the Old Testament, when you find the word God, in, in fact, the verse that we just read, it says, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. Lord is all caps, so it says, literally, Jehovah, our God, is one Jehovah. The word God, in this particular example, is the word Elohim. Elohim. It's another Hebrew word that's a generic word for God. But it is plural, as we'll see that later on. But it says, the Lord our Elohim, Jehovah our Elohim, is one Jehovah. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 4, we see there that there, uh, it says there, there are, uh, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Jehovah Elohim made the earth and the heavens. All right. Now, why am I making an emphasis on this? Well, there's many reasons, but one is that the Mormons teach that God was once a man, and he is just an exalted man. He has earned his way up, climbed the ladder to the position of God. That is not the God described in the Bible. The God described in the Bible, Jehovah God, is the all-existent one, the one who has always existed. He had no beginning and had no end. He has always been God, and he is creator of all things. The Jehovah's Witness, on the other hand, teach that Jehovah is God, but not Jesus and not the Holy Spirit. They'll say there's only one God, Jehovah, and Jesus is a God, and the Holy Spirit is just a, an influence or a force, not God. So they've got a warped understanding of who God is. Now, our text states that Jehovah, our Elohim, is one Jehovah. And he is just one being. And many verses affirm this. Let me give you a few for support of this. Deuteronomy chapter 4, just a page or so back in your Bible, Deuteronomy 4, verse 35, Deuteronomy 4, verse 35, says, Unto thee it is showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, Jehovah, he is God, Elohim. There is none else beside him. 
The Lord is God. There's none else beside him. There is no God beside Jehovah. Jehovah is God. Isaiah 45 verse 5 says, I am the Lord. It's the word Jehovah. I am Jehovah. And there is none else. There is no God beside me. Makes it very clear. You get into the New Testament. In, in John chapter 1, and the very first verse, John chapter 1 and verse number 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The, the term God in the New Testament is not Jehovah. It's the Greek word, theos. And it, those who translate God in the New Testament as Jehovah are twisting the interpretation and making assumptions. And sometimes it is accurate that it is referring specifically to Jehovah. I'm not going to deny that. But the word is not Jehovah. The word is theos. And it is a word that means God. And the Jehovah's Witnesses take John 1.1 1, 1, and they'll say, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. There's some major problems with that interpretation because they're not consistent in their own interpretating of the Scriptures. Because in John chapter 1, you can look down in verse number 6 and you can ask them, if they're discussing this with you, and you ask them, is verse number 6 talking about Jehovah? And they'd say, Absolutely. You look at verse 12. Is that talking about Jehovah? Yes, it is. Is verse 18 talking about Jehovah? Yes, it is. And in all three of those cases, there is no definite article. So it literally says, a God, a God, a God, in a technical sense. So because the word God doesn't have a definite article in front of it, doesn't make it any different than if it did have the definite article. So you cannot build an argument on that it is just a God and it's not the God because it didn't have a the in front of the word. Okay? That doesn't work in the Greek language. And so we need to be very careful about that. Now, another reason it doesn't work is you think with me. The word God is a superlative. What is a superlative? A superlative is a, a word that means the highest that there can be. And you can't have more than one highest of gods. God is a, there's only one God. I mean, there's a lot of objects out there that might call themselves God, but there is only one God because God is a superlative. He is at the top. And there is no other thing under it. And so, to say that Jesus is a God is an inaccurate understanding and translation of that verse. Psalm 96 verse 5 says, for all the gods of the nations are idols. They're not true gods, they're idols. But Jehovah, or the Lord, made the heavens. So he says all these other things that idol, are idols that people call their gods, their little shrines that they call their gods. He said they're not gods, they're idols. They're just idols. But the Lord, Jehovah, he's the one who created all things. He's the creator of all. So we see, first of all, that God, Jehovah, is one Lord. He is one God. And our God is a spirit. That's very important as well. Our God is a spirit. Though God created man in his own image, this cannot speak of his body. For God, being a spirit, has no body. 
So when we read there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. The image of God was not speaking about the form of his body because he has no form. He is a spirit. John chapter 4 and verse number 24 clearly tells us God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Once again, the Mormons falsely teach that God does have a human body. They very clearly state that God has a human body, a physical body, because he was once a man and worked his way up to the highest position of being God. So they have falsely understood that as well. And I'm pointing these things out because there, there are times you're going to meet people and converse with people and I don't want you to be ignorant and confused when they start bringing things up and saying, yes, but this and this. But you need to understand the truth of the scripture. And that's why I'm defining these things for you this morning. But not only did we see here that there can be only one God, but God, our God, is unique. He is unique. And God is distinct from all creation. One author, Robert Bowman, the author of Biblical Basis of, of the Doctrine of the Trinity, he made this statement. He says, God is, tr- is transcendent, entirely distinct from and different than the universe, as the carpenter is distinct from his bench. So God is unique from all that he has created. And so therefore, sometimes we look at it and we say, yes, but how can God be like that? Because we're all like this. God didn't make us like him in every aspect. He made us in his image to be able to commune with him, to fellowship with him, to reason, to think. Superior to all the animals, but he did not make us gods. He made us humans. And we are distinct from him. Isaiah 40, verse 22 says, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and he spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Here he describes us and the other creatures like grasshoppers. Compared to God, you, you know, we look at a little grasshopper hopping, hopping along in our garden, and we think, oh, just a little creature. But God looks down upon us, and God is so far superior to us that we are all like little grasshoppers to him. All these little things that he's created. Now, he loves us and cares for us, but he's just showing us there's a distinct difference between our awesome great God and us. We read in Psalm 102, 25 to 27, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. All them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. God says everything that he has created is going to wear out. Everything he's created is going to diminish in its qualities because that's part of the, the world that we live in, especially after sin came into the world. 
I'm not sure what it would have been before that, but God knew that that was going to happen. And so God, he says, God never changes. God is always the same. He is always the great God that he has always been, and he always will be unto the end. And God is one being, and unlike his creation, he is one being, yet with multiple persons. In this way, he is unique to humans. And we have a hard time grasping this. Because our little finite minds say, well, he must be like us. How could you be three persons in one being? That doesn't make sense. And you're right, it doesn't make sense to us because all we can imagine is what we have seen in our own existence. But God is unique and distinctly different to all that he has created. And the scriptures clearly tell us of three, God is three persons in one being. God is not just one person in one being as we are. And he is not confined to the human limitations that we are confined to. God exists in the person of Jehovah, the Father. He exists in the person of Jesus, the Son. And he exists in the person of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Though each is a part of the being of God, each is a distinct person. Alright, so God the Father is distinctly different than God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And yet they are all one being. It's important for us to see that they all share the distinctness of being God. They form what we would call the Trinity. And though the word Trinity is not a Bible term, the concept of Trinity is found throughout the Scriptures and has been taught from the very beginning, the first century, second centuries. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a, a little pamphlet out that deny this, and they misquote, and they say that the, the early fathers did not believe in the Trinity. They are mistaken. The early fathers did believe in the Trinity. And you can download my notes. I've got a link to a website that quotes and gives you places you can go to and quote and look at these early church fathers in the first and second century that did believe in that God was three persons and one being. It's important for us to see that truth. And it is vital. And one of the reasons why is because as we look at Jesus and we're asking that question, who is the Christ of Christmas? My friend, if Jesus Christ is not God and He is not eternal and He is not equal with the Father, He could not pay the eternal debt of our sin. He has to be who He claimed to be or we have no salvation. Because if He was no better than us, no bigger than us, no stronger than us, He was just a God, maybe a little bit higher than us, but not really a... He, he had to be eternal. He had to be God. He had to be who he said he was or he can't save our souls. We must understand that. The first verse in the Bible reveals the Trinity of God. The very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, Elohim created the heaven and the earth. How do you explain that? Elohim is plural. In the beginning, God's 
created the heaven and the earth. And yet it is one God. He told us very clearly there in Deuteronomy that the Jehovah, our Elohim, is one Jehovah. And yet the word is used in a plural. During creation, God talked to the other persons in the Godhead and discussed creation with them. We read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. Take a look at that. I want you to see that verse. That's a verse that you need to have underlined in your Bible and it needs to be cemented into your heart and mind. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. It says, And God, the word Elohim, God said, Let us, not let me, He said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all that is in the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God spoke with himself. He said, let us create man in our image and in our likeness. So God was communing with himself. Non-Trinitarian, that means those that do not believe in the Trinity, their interpretation cannot account for these things. They don't know how to handle that. How do you deal with that? God, throughout the Old Testament, multitudes of times, God, God is referred to as Elohim. A plural name for a singular being. Confuses our mind. But yet, it is reality in Scripture. God could not have been speaking of angels there at creation. You know, some people say, well, he's just talking about him and the angels. We're discussing this. No, that couldn't possibly be because Scripture never says that angels possess the image of God. And so for him to say, let us create man in our own image, whoever he was talking with had the same image that he had. It wasn't the angels. So that rules out that theory. God the Father plans. God the Son performs. And God the Holy Spirit applies. We find also that God the Father is love. God the Son loved by giving His life for us. And God the Holy Spirit produces love in us through His fruits. God the Father designed. God the Son created. And God the Holy Spirit activated all three of them were involved in all of these things. And we see it way back in, in, in creation. Nehemiah is a great verse. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse number 6. This is a great creation verse. As Nehemiah was, came back to Israel after the Babylonian captivity, and Nehemiah is there to teach and train the people and help them in building the, the city walls and Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 says, Thou, even thou, art Lord alone, Jehovah. Thou art Jehovah alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. Thou preservest them all, and, thou, uh, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Now, clearly God says, Jehovah created it all. And then we read in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verse number 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, 
And without him was not anything made that was made. Now we've got a conflict. Nehemiah said Jehovah created everything. And everything depends upon God. And now John tells us that Jesus created everything. And that nothing was created that he didn't create. How do we rectify that? Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses say, well, God created Jesus, and then then after he created Jesus, then he said, all right, Jesus, you create everything else. Well, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And here's why. Jesus cannot be both the creature and the creator. All right, so he cannot be the creature and the creator. And yet we turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 25, and it says, God was speaking to the people there of how the worlds were going to turn their back on God. And it says in Romans 1.25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who, blessed, who is blessed forever. Amen. All right? So Jesus cannot be the creature and the creator. That doesn't work. It doesn't fit. Jesus and God, Jehovah, are the same being. And when Jehovah created all things, Jesus was creating all things with him because they're the same being. And the Holy Spirit also was involved in creation. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2 says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God the Father and God the Son created the earth and the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. All three of the Trinity of God were involved in the act of creation. They worked together harmoniously. We find also that all three of the persons of the Godhead indwell believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16 says, And, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and will walk with them and will be their God and they shall be my people. So it says, God set us. God would dwell with men and walk with them. God would dwell in them and walk with them. We find in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 27. Colossians 1, 27. In whom, here is speaking of Christ, in whom God would make known what the, is the riches of the glory of the mystery of, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ lives in you. If you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, God lives in you. If you know Christ your Savior, Christ lives in you. But we also find, as we would already have known, from other things, this is more commonly known in John chapter 14, verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. So the Holy Spirit dwells in you. We have the Father, the God, who dwells in you. And Jesus Christ, the Son, dwells in you. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. 
All three of them, one person, three, or sorry, one being, three persons dwell inside of you as a believer. That is a wonderful truth. God is with us. We find also that each of the Trinity searches the hearts of man. Now, the reason I'm explaining all these things is because it shows us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all share the same activities. They share the same attributes. They are the same being, but they are different persons in that being, and they have individual activities that they do. The Father oversees things. The Son performs them. The Holy Spirit enacts them, and they are working together, but they are three persons in one being to be able to do that. As we consider this fact that they search the hearts, we read in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10, I, the Lord, all capitals, Jehovah, I, Jehovah, search the heart. I try the reins. That's your kidneys. That's like saying your inner feelings. Even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So God says here, Jehovah says, I search your heart. I search down inside of you. I see inside of you. I understand you in, on the inside. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 23. You're speaking of Jesus Christ in the context. You can see that if you read the context. Revelation 2.23. And I, Jesus, will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he that searches the reins, that's the kidneys again, or your inner parts, and the hearts, and I will give you, I give unto every one of you according to your works. Jesus said, I search your heart. The Father said, I searched your heart. But then we find also the same said of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 10. 1 Corinthians 2.10 but God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The Spirit searches. So we got the Father searching, we have the Son searching, we have the Spirit searching. All three of these are acts of God, and because they are one, pers- one being in three persons, and they are searching us and trying us and examining us. Now, why do I present all of this? If we're going to understand the Christ of Christmas, we need to understand that He is part of the Trinity of God. Next week, we're going to look, Lord willing, at the fact that He is God in all aspects. And lots of scriptures that show and prove that Jesus Christ is God. Not just a God, not just... a, a Uh, someone who's out there for being a good example to us, but he is God. And we're going to see that explained in the Scripture. But for for now, I want you to see here that the Christ of Christmas was part of the triune God. He is part of the Trinity. He is is equal with the Father and with uh, with the Holy Spirit. They equally are part of one being, and they are all God. You cannot divide them. You cannot split them up. You know, there's there's... All kinds of things people have tried to use as illustrations. I've heard eggs used as an illustration, that the, the egg white and the egg yolk and the shell, there's three parts. 
But, you know, we could divide them up and set the shell over here and the yolk here and the white over here and kind of divide them up. So I'm not sure that's a good illustration, but it does help us maybe a little bit to comprehend that. There's other things that men have tried to use to help us to understand. But you know the bottom line that really helps me? And that is that we do not need to understand God. We have a hard enough time doing the things we already understand. I mean, the scripture is full of things that we struggle to do because we are humans. And we know that God wants us to do this and this and this and not to do all those other things. And he wants us to... And we struggle with that. Why trouble ourselves with something that God has told us that we just can't grasp? We don't need to worry about it. Our God is bigger than us. And if God was no bigger than me, we'd all be in big trouble. All right? God's a lot bigger than me, and he's a lot bigger than you. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords of all things. And because he is not confined to the human body and the human way of being as we are, he is able to oversee all things. He is able to, I mean, just comprehend, if you will, the genius of God in just designing all that he has designed in creation. I mean, the foolishness of evolution, thinking that all of the intricate, tiny details by the bazillions in our world all just kind of happened by chance. That is rubbish. But to think that it was created by a God, that means that God has a genius of a mind that is far superior than ours. Not a one of us could even come up with some of the design for one tiny, teeny, tiny little cell, let alone create it. But not only did God design it, he created it all. And he put it into function. And as we read there in Nehemiah, he keeps it going. And he keeps it sustained. God is an awesome, great, powerful God. And that is the God that came at Christmas time. The Christ of Christmas. He's part of that triune God. He is a mighty being. And as we sing those Christmas carols, and you sing about Christ this Christmas, you remember that Jesus Christ is part of the triune God. More powerful than any other creature or being that has ever existed. He is the creator of it all. And he is part of that. It's a wonderful truth. I know we've covered a lot of material this morning. But I did it to give you a fuller understanding of who Christ is. As Christians, we dare dare not be ignorant. The cults are out there teaching things that are not true about our God. And if Jesus is just a God, He can't save your soul. And if Jesus was once upon a time a man like us and worked His way to the top of the ladder, He can't save you. You're just going to have to work, 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 work hard to try to get yourself up there. And that's what those poor folk are trying to do. And they're failing to do that because you can't work your way to heaven. You can't work your way to perfection. And God wants to see this. God is greater than all that. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And He came to this earth in His unimaginable wisdom, determined that because of his great love for us, 
that the second person of his trinity would actually come to the earth that he had created and become one of his, like his creation. Humble himself to that point and become like one of his creation so that he could die a physical death for me and for you to pay for our sin. That is amazing. Amazing love. We have a wonderful God. Do not be deceived by false teachers that claim otherwise. Jehovah and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are separate persons, but the same being. And as we think about this and meditate upon that and ponder over that this Christmas, remember who Christ is. The Christ of Christmas is part of the triune God. And I don't know your hearts. You know, you folks, most of you come most regularly. But you know, deep down inside, your relationship with God is a personal relationship with God. I can't see in your heart. And therefore, we have to each one be challenged to look deep down inside and make sure that we have received the gift that God has provided. God, in His genius, sent the second person of His Trinity to this earth at Christmas to become a babe and grow up and live a perfect life and a perfect example and fulfill all that was needed to pay for the debt of our sin and offer us the gift of his salvation. And he offers us that gift this Christmas. As he's offered it to us for thousands of years. Since that time that he rose from the dead, he's offered that gift of salvation and said, if you will humble yourself, repent of your sin, and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. And if you've never done that, I urge you, do it today. Don't put it off. There's no other way. That's our only hope.